You and I came of age in a media environment where a lot of bad behavior was swept under the rug because the businesses were so phenomenally successful. We live in a new age where bad behavior is treated very differently, which is a good thing, an important thing. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, May 1st. Today, as always, John Kelly is here for Media Monday. We go deep on the demise of Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon at their respective cable networks, and whether the two hosts can build a following outside of traditional television. And John and I check in on Vice, where Vice News Tonight has met its demise after years of struggles. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Happy Monday, everybody. If it's Monday, it's Media Monday. And happy May, by the way. Welcome to spring. John Kelly joins me today, as he always does, every Monday to talk about the media. And John, I thought we had a busy Media Monday last week. And I heard about this in my DMs and text messages and emails. We were talking about BuzzFeed and Jeff Shell last Monday. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. the Tucker Carlson thing happens. And then the Don Lemon thing happens. What a crazy week in media. I'm curious... In hindsight, is there any like connective tissue to you between the Jeff Shell thing and the Don Lemon thing and the Tucker Carlson story? Or are these all kind of like discrete, you know, narratives with their own individual actors and businesses? Well, well, there is and there isn't. You know, I think on some level, of course, there are totally um, events that happened independently of one another. But when you zoom out, I think they're absolutely all of a piece with what happens when industries go through this kind of crisis. And I think that executives and talent become expendable in a very different way. Now, I'm not saying that Jeff Shell didn't commit a fireable offense. It sure sounds like Comcast had that locked up. But, you know, this is something that Matt's discussed on his show. You talked about it with Dylan a little bit. Like, Comcast mm-hmm. has been trying, is, is an incredibly acquisitive company. The Rogers are, Roberts family are, are acquisitive. Uh, we talked about this a bit last week, too. I don't want to get long in the mm-hmm. tooth. Uh, Shell was, you know, did not appear to be in the long-term picture, at least as an operator. I think that Don Lemon obviously um, exhibited uh, all the traits of a deeply unhappy employee going through circumstances that w- were a- above his control and seemed somewhat unmanageable to a company that needs to be managed very stringently to, to pass through an, a very, very uncomfortable transition. We can talk more about that in a second. And, you know, we're still kind of untangling the Tucker thing, but at the end of the day, you know, he maybe he did some things that were inappropriate, but it also seems like, you know, and I guess this is the case here. You and I came of age in a media environment where a lot of bad behavior 
was covered, was swept under the rug because the businesses were so phenomenally successful. We live in a new age where bad behavior is treated very differently, which is a good thing, an important thing in a culture. But in a business environment, there is also a zero tolerance for bad behavior because Uh it's a very shaky economic environment, uh, particularly in media and entertainment media. So I do view all of these personnel changes as consistent with what happens in sort of late stage media companies where they're going to be intolerant and and focused on getting to the next rung of the ladder. Mm -hmm. Um, I was texting with a a friend who works in conservative media last night who sent me the ratings uh, for Fox primetime Mm -hmm. from, I guess, late last week. And that 8 p.m. time slot with Tucker, the ratings just nosedived, Um, you know, went from like, 3 million down to like 1.3 million. Chris Hayes actually beat Tucker in that slot. And you know, this is, this is the question in conservative media and Tina has been writing about this too. Is Tucker, does he wield some kind of attentional and ideological power uh, that's bigger than Fox? And can he create something on his own or is it like he's Glenn Beck or Bill O'Reilly or maybe in a slightly different category like Megyn Kelly, where you leave the network and your power diminishes. And that's sort of what I'm interested to see. Uh, And this friend of mine also mentioned something I didn't talk about with Dylan on the podcast last week, which is Tucker's got a lot of brands at Fox, like on Fox Nation, their subscription service too. And it'll just be interesting to see, you know, what happens with that IP and like whether Tucker, you know, the departure of Tucker has an impact on the subs too. Yeah, well, we definitely live in in the age of the influencer and the influencer journalist and the influencer broadcaster. I mean, you and I talk about that all the time. Mm -hmm. That's one of the, the, the fundamental premises of our company. And if you assess these two talents strategically, I think that Lemon fits in the kind of Chris Cuomo category of like charming, talented broadcaster who I don't see the path forward um, as a uh, individual brand. I, I don't see Don Lemon, whose talents are as a TV star, being able to translate to a, a nonlinear TV future. I don't, I don't see Don Lemon building out a large platform on YouTube. I don't see the Don Lemon audio series. I don't see the Don Lemon masterclass. I don't see the Don Lemon speaking tour. I certainly don't see the Don <laughs> Lemon daytime TV show or, or, or whatever, the Don Lemon cereal box, the Don Lemon, Don Lemon underwear, the Don Lemon, you know, bombas. I think that you know, he'll follow that road, that Cuomo. And frankly, the Fox talent that you mentioned too, which is O'Reilly left under uh, grim circumstances. Megyn Kelly left of her own volition, but but lost a lot of credibility when she was retranslated to a more liberal platform or centrist platform on NBC. And then obviously got into that, you know, made that ridiculously stupid comment and got nuked and has not been able, to my mind, to achieve the sort of post-prime fame that she wanted as as a, you know, I think her podcast is fine, but it's not the kind of money she used to make. Interesting mm-hmm. asterisk, by the way, her producer is Rich McHugh, who was the Ronan Farrow producer at NBC. So oh. it, it, sho- it shows you how um, the, the many, the many faces of purity uh, in, in this industry. But the Tucker thing is going to be really, really, really interesting because he's generationally younger than O'Reilly, who wasn't going to make it as a digital media era star. Yes, he is the star of the Fox uh, DTC business. He has that in-home studio that he does Tucker Carlson today from, and he's leaving on these terms that make him seem like kind of a, a free speech warrior. So could he translate to this next era, you know, like a Ben Shapiro? And actually, Glenn Beck, let's give him credit. He, I think, you know, Glenn Beck's company is now worth like half a billion dollars. Like he definitely, he saw it early. He stuck with it. Can Tucker be a very wise Glenn Beck, Ben Shapiro, Jeremy Boring type person? Does he have the drive in his early I mean, early he did it the Daily Caller. 
He started the Daily Caller. He's he, he's done he's done a version before. It actually it was stunning to I was reading Tina's piece the other day, and you know she worked for him at the Caller, and it's stunning to think uh-huh. that you know twelve years ago Tucker was like a a canceled MSNBC star who was running a, a digital media brand of of, of low repute, and, and look where yeah. we are now. Does he have the access to capital? One hundred percent. Could he bring in the business operators who could run this business built on his personal brand? One hundred percent. Does he have the Rogan style credibility? Like overnight uh Mm -hmm. and i think that that you know and i'm speculating a little bit here too but it's hard to imagine and and it's hard to imagine it's hard to manage talent not trying to be sympathetic to fox here when they think that they're bigger than the business and um i think that that was that's the rub right that tucker probably felt like he had all this optionality that a linear company doesn't have and and sorry just go and to go right back to the uh, the initial point you made one thing that's also gonna be fascinating is you know, Fox News is like a couple, you know, billion and a half from profit. It's a really powerful business. And I think a majority of that, a, a strong majority, is through the uh, carriage fees and retransmission fees. Uh, Fox News is not where you go to advertise, right? So mm-hmm. ratings matter a lot. But I think there's like a fixed rate for um, Propecia and um, whatever ED drug is, is coming onto the market now or whatever, you know, whatever blood thinner they're advertising. So I could imagine that these ratings headlines stink Arena Briganti and the Fox PR machine live off of headlines. They've done an incredible job uh, for decades in those dark arts. But at the end of the day, the ratings decline are not going to have a material impact on their business right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Because I think that, that Fox actually is a must-buy for every cable channel. If not because the country is, is sort of split 51-49, liberal conservative, but because of the political risk. I mean, can you imagine if like Xfinity or Comcast or Optimum didn't carry Fox News? They'd, you know, they'd run the risk of of corporate cancellation. So Murdoch's will be fine. Tucker will be fine. You know, life will life will go on. Yeah. I mean, that's what I told my friend, too. I was like, give these give this time slot a few weeks like or months rather, and we'll see what the ratings are like. But yeah, I mean, like Bill O'Reilly, when he left Fox was a dinosaur uh, and wasn't really super equipped to deal with the new media world. Um, Glenn Beck was a little bit more, but it was a different time when he left Fox and he obviously built the blaze. He didn't leave when we were completely in the influencer creator economy where, where journalists and pundits were individual creators. Whereas Tucker, the Rogan example is great. Tucker could leave and make millions of dollars right now um, just by yeah. creating a podcast, a YouTube series, some DTC stuff, sell merch, Jesus, like do speaking events. I mean, it's just like a different yeah. different era, even from five years ago. On the lemon front, though, uh, speaking of, of headlines, uh, a New York Post headline caught me the other day. Um, Rick Ross, the rapper, oh, uh, yeah. found out that Don Lemon got fired and posted on his IG story, hey, Don... Just found out Don Lemon was terminated from CNN. Damn, dog. But guess what? This brother's got your back. We're hiring at Wingstop. Uh, Rick Ross owns a bunch of Wingstop locations. And for some reason, I believe you know what you're doing with the lemon pepper wings. So, man, just send over your resume. I'm going to make sure you get in front of the right girl, brother. Stay solid, brother. Um, That's a funny headline. That's great New York Post content. Uh, But it does raise something which is like a slight differentiator than the Chris Cuomo example, which is Don, despite being controversial, despite like as a, you know, broadcaster or journalist, he might not bring kind of like a megawattage direct connection with the audience that, that Tucker does, for example. But he does have a real 
connection with the black community. And that, that's something I've seen even when I worked at CNN. Um, I've, I've seen it with my friend Bakari Sellers who's a contributor at CNN. Like those dudes walk into uh, a room with a lot of black folks. They are superstars. Uh, and, you know, I'm thinking of maybe not as famous, but like Roland Martin, you know, he mm-hmm. was a pundit talk show guy before yep. CNN left CNN and went back into that world. And like, you know, he's probably not making as much money as he did at CNN, but Don, you know, I think has some connection with, with the black community that can give him some optionality, I think after leaving as well. But one more New York post headline before I go to break. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Don, I mean, this is like classic Don Lemon. He gets fired on Monday time. 100 gala in New York is on Wednesday. <laughs> no one thinks he's going to show up. Chris Licht is at the Time 100 thing. Poppy Harlow is is at the Time 100 thing. <laughs> and Don Lemon shows up on the red carpet in a tux. Unbelievable. Here is exactly, uh, I wanted you, I'm glad you brought that up. Here is the most interesting drama in all of it. And yes, everyone here is rich. Everyone is, is great looking. Everyone's going to be fine. Um, maybe Tucker's not great looking, but everyone's going to be fine here. The most interesting subplot of all of this by far. Far and and this has come up a wee bit, but we're just in the earliest innings of it. Is after Don was fired, he hired Allison Gallist, who ran all of PR for CNN in the Jeff Zucker era. She and Jeff are together, and you know you are going to see. I predict in the coming weeks, um, you know Don also hired Brian Freeman, the litigator, um, mm-hmm. who Chris Cuomo had hired. Life is complicated, um, and, and you know Chris Cuomo hired led to Jeff's firing. Life is even more complicated. You're going to see. Don and Allison, maybe, you know, with all their ammunition, competing in a public relations battle against Chris Licht and his team. And that is going to be something. Like, this is almost, uh, when I heard that news, my jaw hit the floor. I thought, honestly, it was embarrassing. I I thought of um, Friday Night Lights. When, like, around season three, he gets fired from the Permian uh, Dillon, you know, Panthers or whatever. And then he goes to, to coach the uh, the Michael B. Jordan team on the other side of town. Just all, you know, setting up all along the rematch uh, between the two schools. And this is the rematch, man. And, um, and it's going to be filled with revenge. And this is why this is a fabulous industry. Yeah, I mean... I talked I talked to Dylan about this last week, but it really feels like Jeff Sucker just can't quit it. It's like like move on to the next one, buddy. But you know he's he wants to have his tendrils in, in the CNN drama somehow, uh, and you know he was texting Don uh, as that was going down. I want to take a quick break and, and talk a little <laughs> bit more about this stuff, uh, but also the demise of Vice News. Welcome back to the powers that be, everyone. John, uh, late last week, news broke that Vice, the media company, was laying off about 100 staffers and killing Vice News tonight. You know, and I've had friends who have cycled through there. Mm -hmm. Vice News and Vice are famous for, sorry, I should say infamous for, you know, hiring uh, freelancers, production teams, taking a long time to pay them, firing people, cycling through staff. Vice has just been consumed with drama for years and years now. I mean, obviously, that used to flow from the top with Shane Smith. But I haven't really watched Vice News for a while, which is fair. I mean, I I host a Snapchat show that some people don't watch. But I looked up (laughs) online Vice News Tonight. Like, you know how Google has people also ask and like all those like sub questions under the Google search tab? Okay. 
These are the questions. People also ask, who is Vice News owned by? Whatever happened to Vice News? What kind of publication is Vice? Where can I see Vice News? Those are four questions that <laughs> I thought yeah. I had. Uh, clearly, everyone has those questions. And though the fact that those questions are pretty much permanent at this point suggests why Vice News uh, didn't succeed in the end and why Vice, like a lot, a lot of other you know, digital media startups from the 2010s are now withering away. You know, I can answer one of those questions, uh, which I should um, mention as a disclosure. One of the um, securities owners or you know, investors in Vice is TBG, which is obviously an investor mm. in, in, in Puck. Um, when we were chatting about this before the show, it was hard not to feel a bit of deja vu from our conversation last week about how this era of these enormous web 2.0 uh, digital media companies is just evolving. And, you know, to, to, to recap quickly, BuzzFeed, which is a company that makes $500 million in revenue, just got rid of a news division and has a market cap that's like, I think, you know, around less than $100 million right now. Fox's valuation was halved. This, this Vice News isn't surprising. It seems like it's been trending this way for a while. The company was enormous. Uh, it ended up developing, I think, you know, four or five different revenue streams and, and, and news became one of the least consequential. I think that the, the business that thrived under Nancy Dubuque was the basically a kind of production, commercial production company, um, yeah. which I imagine is, is going to be the most valuable entity. And it, it sure looks, I, I have no inside information, but it sure, it sure looks like this is being primed to become more attractive for a sale at, at the earliest convenience, there was a, a round of financing, I think, put together by Fortress pretty recently that probably provided the runway for them to to make these difficult decisions. But I return to something that we have discussed before, which is that at the end of the day, the pendulum just swings back and we are returning to a world in, in digital media in particular, uh, but also in broadcast media, where you have to know your end user and what they want and who they are and these large digital publishers were created with these sort of quixotic ideas about their audience, that their audience was everyone, you know, in Vice's case, it was every millennial in the world, you know, um, and in, you know, I think Vox's case, it was a more multi-brand approach, but it was, this is tech, this is sports, this is, um, yeah. you know, this is lifestyle. And then BuzzFeed, I don't know, it was, it was just a sort of alternate, um, you know, kind of junior uh, New York Times newsroom that they were trying to create for an for a internet native generation. Those are pretty broad concepts. And, you know, I think we're learning that at the end of the day, what the end state or the middle state, we think that the end state is probably more like the information media brands that are germane to specific audiences who really, really, really value uh, their particular point of view or the work that they do. And um, they don't have to be as enormous or, or they'll be enormous in, in different ways. And th this Vice News just seems to be a, another sign that um, an era is ending. Yeah, I, I just I'll never forget when I joined Snapchat in 2015, right in the middle of this era. And, you know, Vice, like a lot of companies, BuzzFeed were, you know, and our discover partners and publish on snap. But I remember like that was still the Shane Smith era. He was on CNBC or one of these business channels from, from the, you know, the big conference and, and con boasting about like how they reach every millennial. And, and if you saw through his comments, he was also like begging to be acquired. He was like, we've got lots of friends in high places. We would love to partner with Apple at some point. But I remember going around the, like my team at Snapchat and also like a bunch of other folks, pure millennial, 
young millennial, old millennial, but that workplace at the time was very, very millennial. And I'd asked all these people on my team and I was building, you know, news products too. How many of you guys watch Vice or Vice News? Or when was the last time you saw Vice or Vice News? And like, just just stone dead eyed looks like not really. I don't know what channel yep. it's on. How do I get it? Lots of people had said they'd watch certain moments. Like there was that great, albeit controversial, like undercover with ISIS thing on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville was like a huge moment for them. But that was this was sort of before that. But it was just like, I didn't know anyone in real life that was actually watching this stuff. And you look over in Brooklyn and they're just like hiring so many staffers and renting out the space in Williamsburg. And, you know, it had like, uh, and maybe this is in my head because I've, I've been reading Ben Smith's book about the, the demise of this era, but he, he has a, a bunch of stuff in there about Ozzy <laughs> and oh, how right. like Jonah Peretti was at Buzzfeed. And he would be like really curious about like Ozzy's bluster and how they talked about their reach and they're reaching all these people. And they had this, big narrative to sell to advertisers and and Jonah like went on their YouTube page and like their videos were getting like tens of views and he was like hmm. huh that's interesting that's a little weird I don't really believe them uh, yeah. and you know if you just had a little bit of like common sense about you and could see through the bluster you were just like I don't know where this is going to go and obviously you know I don't this stuff has played out many many stages over the last several years um, but this just feels like one more sort of pothole along the way to the <laughs> to the to the great parking lot in the sky but you know, know. but the Maybe good news wrong. is that that no a parking lot uh, in the sky is a is a that's a nap metaphor i think that a lot of competitors learn from these companies like it, it may not have worked out for vice on this path but the lessons that were learned from this era of media they were learned by a different set of publishers you know they, they were absorbed by the new york times the washington post by places like axios and you know th- that were able to sort of adapt to the audience and platform changes and had a, a unique level of kind of adult quality that that made them valuable and, and that's a real silver lining all right john i'm gonna go uh blast some rick ross in my airpods uh have a good week buddy i'll see you in the slack all right you too man later Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Puck.